we are, you know, on the tail end of Acts now as we're finishing up our series in Acts. And um, this message is an interesting one. Uh, so this one is, the context of it is that, you know, Paul is um, nearing sort of the end of his life in some ways, the, the end of Acts, and he's, he's nearing this end of this phase of his life where he's going to go to Jerusalem and he knows he's going to be arrested, right? Um, he knows through the Spirit that he's going to be arrested and he's like, all right, let's do this, you know, and so he, um, this is a passage where he actually stops by um, and, he, and he meets with some of the elders at this, this city called Ephesus, right, this church um, that he planted, um, and he, and he meet with, meets with them, and he gives them a farewell message of some sort, right, a farewell message. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to give a farewell message. It's, it's very solemn. It feels very serious. You know, I was thinking about in my life, like, you know, when have I ever had to say goodbye to somebody in a way that's like, hey, I know I'm never going to see you again. So here are my last words to you. Make it count. You know, good luck, farewell. You know, when, when has that ever happened to me? And, you know, I think about sort of like, you know, if, if we had to do that for ourselves, you know, what would we say to each other? You know, in, in that moment, I think all, a lot of our superficiality perhaps would fall, you know, to the ground. We wouldn't be talking about, I don't know, football or whatever, we, you know, the weather or something. I, I think we'd really probably say to each other what we'd really want to say on our hearts. You know, if we think about, you know, loved ones passing on, you know, if you think about the last moments that you would have to say with somebody, you know, you would want to spend that time maybe, maybe really sharing your heart, really sharing what it is that, that, that's really on your heart that you want to say, that you want them to know, perhaps that you really love them, you know, perhaps that they meant a lot to you. You know, what is that, perhaps? Well, this is kind of the situation that Paul himself finds him in, right? He's saying farewell. He knows that he's not going to see these people ever again. And so he gives this kind of, you know, he shares his heart and his life with them, right? And we're going to see here that he shares his farewell messages in, really in two parts. You know, one is a personal testimony of his life. Um, and then he gives a series of warnings um, that we're going to take a look at. And the main message I would say in all of this message, in all of this, what he wants to share is this. Don't let anything get in the way of pursuing God's grace in your life. Don't let anything get in the way of pursuing God's grace in life. Because at the end of the day, it's all about God's grace, what he has done, the gospel. Don't let anything, don't, I've lived that way, he's going to say. I, I've lived this way, and I want you guys to live that way and to pursue that as well. So we're looking at it um, in Acts 20, 17, 38. If you want to follow along with Scripture, you can. If not, I'm just going to read it here. Um, he says, this beginning of what he says, You yourselves, to the Ephesian elders, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I sit, set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But... I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among 
whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify you to, to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's kind of what he starts with. Very serious, very solemn in some ways, right? And, and I just, um, for me, I focus on this line when I, when I think about this passage. And this is the line I was kind of meditating on when I was preparing for this. Was this line, right? This famous line, but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace, the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I've not held back from you. You know, I've not held back because I was shy, because I was trying to please people, you know, anything. I, I gave you all of me, right? All of my life, all of my love, all of my words, anything I had to say, I gave you all of that. And the reason why I did so, the reason why I had such a drive to pursue, you know, pursue loving you guys in such a way and sharing the gospel with you guys was because my whole life has been consumed by this mission. Right? My whole life has been consumed by this mission. And he's saying, do not count my life of any value or any precious. He's not saying, I don't really like living anymore, guys. <laughs> you know, he's saying, no, I like living, right? But there's something more important to my life something that has taken over my life, an obsession, if you will, that has so changed the trajectory of my life, right, that, you know, this is all I care about now, right? I've just, former life, former things I used to care about, think about, you know, cool, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, this thing has now become the single focus of my life. And what is that? For him, it was to finish my course in the ministry that I've received from Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to tell as many people as I can about the grace of God that I have experienced and I want everyone to experience. That's my mission. That's why I exist on this planet. Um, very clear mission statement for himself. A lot of people don't have clear mission statements. You know, a lot of clear people, people don't really know why they exist. You know, just kind of exist, just to kind of feel good. I don't know, just to make themselves happy. Paul is a very clear purpose for his existence that drives everything that he does. I exist on this planet, right, to finish my course, to finish and to do what God has called me to, namely that is to testify to the gospel of grace, to tell as many people about grace in my life. And I, you know, when we hear this, when we t look at this, we're just like, wow, Paul, you're, you're an amazing Christian. That's cool for you. You know, that doesn't sound like uh, that's, that's it for me. I, I don't know if I would say that about myself, but, you know, but I would challenge, and I would really, you know, challenge you to think about the fact that I think every Christian is actually called to think about their lives in this way. Um, every Christian is called to think about their lives, to have clarity for why they exist, for why they are here. Christians aren't meant to just be like, just muddling around the world, just trying to get through life like everyone else, you know, pursuing the same things, trying to do the same things. No, Christians are called with a very clear purpose that God has given us calling in our lives. He's given us ministry. He's given us assignments. He's given us a life to live. And it may look different from Paul, right? I'm not saying everyone's called to do exactly what Paul did, but it should be clear for everybody that I have a purpose in my life. And, and more than anything else, more than my comfort, more than money, more than whatever other things, my calling, why I exist, why I wake up in the morning every day is to live out that purpose. And that's true whether you're a student whether you're a nurse, whether you're a teacher, whether you work in the government, you know, whether you work in ministry, you know, whatever it is, that should be the same for you when you wake up. Right? That shouldn't be, oh, I'm just trying to get through the day. You know, it should be a clear 
sense of purpose. That was what I was really challenged by when I first came to college, when I first became Christian. You know, I came in with a lot of very confused ideas about what life was for, right? Like previously, you know, in high school, it was very easy for me if you asked what my purpose in life was. It was to get into a really good college, right? Because that's all I could think about, you know? And that's kind of how a lot of times we train high schoolers is like, just think about getting into the best possible college that you can, you know? And, and so I was very, I was, I was able to live for a while because I had a clear purpose, right? That's what it was. Then I came to college, and I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> you know, now what? And it basically became, well, now get into a really good med school, you know? And, and then and at some point, I started to catch on. You know, I remember our, our old pastor, Pastor Roger, you know, he kind of took us to this journey of, okay, so you get into a good med school. I mean, that's, you know, for pre-meds at Hopkins, like, this is all, this is what we, like, salivate over, you know, <laughs> right? Get into a good med school, okay. Go to good residency. All right, then what? All right, you, you start making money. That's cool, you know. Um, buy a nice house. Maybe, it's, you know, with a pool in it, that would be nice. If you like swimming or a tennis court, if you like playing tennis. You know, th then what do you do? Well, then you have kids. And you teach the kids to do the same thing that you did, right? And you retire. And once you retire, you just try to enjoy your life as best as you can in your old body. You know, and that's it, right? Like, sorry. That, that could sound really demeaning. I, I apologize if that's the case. But... <laughs> You know, but it's, it's depressing, right, when you think about it that way. You know, and I think some, I think, PR, like, you know, Pastor Roger presented to me that way, and I, that started to, like, a light bulb kind of clicked in my mind at the time. And I was just like, yeah, is that all there is to life? That does not sound very exciting. If that's the case, then college is pretty much the peak, right? College is pretty much, like, the most fun I'll ever have in my life. You know, after that, it's all downhill from there, you know? Um, and, and I started to really question, right, kind of like, no, no, that doesn't seem right. You know, A, there's a possibility that we're all just living bags of molecules and, and there is no purpose and it doesn't, nothing really matters, so just choose whatever you want. Or, right, the message of Christianity says that there is a reason why we exist, that there is meaning to things, objective meaning, not just meaning we create for ourselves, right? That there is a God, right, who created us to live meaningful lives, not just to survive and just to, just to pass on through whatever, right? And he calls us into relationship with him. That's grace, right? He calls us into relationship with him to live out lives that are far better, far more glorious, far loving, far just, I don't know, just better than anything that we could ever concoct for ourselves. I think that's what Paul's talking about here, right? He's like, it's a grace that I get to not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Not because I'm just tired of living and I'm depressed or whatever, no, because I've discovered something so much more better. I've discovered something so much better that now this is the only thing that drives me. And it's a grace that I get to do that. Even if that means I'm going to go through persecutions. It's literally what Paul's saying. Even though I know the road ahead of me means that there will be chains at times, it's still way better than what I was doing before. It's still way better than being a Pharisee and just being lost and just trying to you know, I don't know whatever he was doing, whatever was going on through his mind. You know, following God, even in prison, it's way better, way better. Paul sees it as a grace, and I hope that we can see it as a grace that God has called us to much more than just surviving, right? God has called us to be people who follow him, who, who go on adventures with him in some ways, who take steps of faith with him, who experience him in every single way possible. And that, that was the that was the line that convicted me when I was in college that changed the trajectory of my life, right? Where I started to think, no, it's not just about how do I get the best job possible, 
but God, how do I live for you? How do I glorify you with everything that I do? You know, and, and me, you know, at that time, for me, like, you know, I went into ministry, and, you know, we had a culture of people going into full-time ministry, but as I look back now, you know, my passion is not now just for more people to go into specifically vocational ministry, because I don't think everyone's called to that, but more that everybody, every Christian, where they would, where they are, would find a clear sense of calling and purpose in what they do, knowing that it serves God, and it, that you don't have to just find that only in church if you decide to be a pastor, right? I think about, I was talking to some students earlier about work and about our relationship with work, and how for a lot of students, um, this may relate to you guys, you know, for work, I don't know how you feel about your work, a lot of students at Hopkins, you really don't like being at Hopkins. <laughs> One of the things I realized, you know, if, if you're an exception, good for you, you know, but a lot of you guys really, like, the more I talk about, like, you guys really don't like it, right? And, you know, and I, I see this very unhealthy relationship with work, right? I see this kind of, this thing of, like, you know what, I just have to get through this. I have to grip my teeth and get through these midterms and these things, because that's the only way to, to some, you know, future path of enjoyment or whatever, right? But I, I hate my work. You can't get me to work unless you're basically, I like, have a stick behind me the whole time. You know, that's why I procrastinate and all that. You know, and that's the kind of relationship I hear about that. And I'm like, that's really tragic. You know, because what I hear in that is that when I wake up every morning, in some ways you're saying that I'm a slave to somebody else. I'm a slave to a system, to a system that doesn't really care about me, you know, you don't wake up being, I'm here to live for God. <laughs> you know, you're here, you're saying, I'm, I'm here to live for grades, you know, or to live for my professor, whatever my professor tells me to do, you know, whatever med school tells me to do, you know. And, and that's, I think that's really, really tragic, you know, because I don't think that's how God has called us to be. And I don't think that's, I, that's something I, I desire for you guys as students to experience, even while you were students at Hopkins. What would it look like for you to wake up every morning and be like, yeah, I have assignments, yeah, I have stuff to do. You know, God, do those things. But why I do those things every morning is not so that I can avoid failing. It's not so that I can please my parents who sent me here. That's a noble goal. It's not so that I can please my own pride by killing it and getting a 4-0 so I can brag and I can feel good about myself. No. The reason why I wake up every morning is to glorify God because God has called me as a student here. So I'm going to do a really good job as a student. <laughs> I'm going to do it because it pleases him because he loves it when I do it, right? And that's, that's the only reason why I live. And he calls me not to be a student anymore? Cool. I'll have that same perspective wherever I go, in work, I don't know, whatever I do. That's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about this idea of not counting my life of any value or precious for myself. I'm not doing it for myself. I don't do anything for myself anymore. But I do it for God, and that gives me immense joy and immense, there's immense grace in that give you another example. I think something I've been just thinking about lately as I'm, I'm a new parent and I have a seventh-month-old named Emma. She's very cute, right? And, you know, I think as a parent, I think there's a tendency to really get possessive of, about, you know, your parent. You know, just like, you know, like, this is my child, right? So I'm going to set her up for success, right? Like, you know, I need, I need to make sure she learns all three languages in the household. I make sure she goes to the best daycare possible. I'm going to make sure, you know, um, and I don't know, she, she plays tennis because I love tennis and I want her to play tennis, you know, and all these things. And, and yeah, you know, that can be out of love and that can be good. But I find myself wondering, you know, who am I parenting Emma for? Is it for myself is it, or is it for God? You know, I can find a lot of times that like what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to 
you know, parent Emma in a way that, you know, will make me happy, you know, in some ways. It's really a selfish thing. It's really for myself because I want her to be a certain kind of person. And I think something that has challenged me again, again, if I wake up every morning, you know, and I take care of Emma, and that's, that's my assignment from God today, and how do I do this in a way that glorifies God? I think for me, one of the things I'm thinking about is Emma's not mine. You know, she's God's. Like, more than anyone else, she belongs to God. And God has given me this gracious ministry of being able to minister to her and show her, you know, the love of a father. You know, to show her what it means to follow God. You know, to teach her the ways of God. God has loaned her to me in some ways, right? And given me this joy of discipling her, of whatever, caring for her. All these things. And so I do it not just for Emma, although I love her, right? And not, certainly not for myself, but for God, right? Because that is what God has called me to do, and that's what gives me joy. That's what allows me to continue to have joy when I don't want to do it, <laughs> when there are days when I'm really tired of parenting, and I'm really not wanting to change diapers, and not really wanting to go in there. If it's driven by just, you know, what's here in this world, my own selfish motivations, it's going to fail. But if it's driven by God, this is what you have called me to do, and it's my joy to serve you, even at a cost to myself, then I'm going to have a lot of joy in that. I want you guys to think about that for yourselves. Do I have a clear sense of purpose and calling in my life when I wake up? Can I say with Paul, I don't count my life of any value or precious to myself. If only I might finish the things that God has called me to do. And insert whatever that is for you right now. Right? Calling. So Paul talks about the sense of calling because of his grace. And then he talks about this idea of the message of grace, right? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that is. Because it's impossible to live this life of calling if you don't actually really know God or really are amazed by God at all, right? If, if, if that's going to be the case for yourself, if, you're always, if you've always known God as this kind of distant God that does not inspire much in your life, well, then much, much of what I said about calling is just not going to really be applicable for you. you know? Or you're going to take it in a legalistic way. Oh, man, now I have to give up everything for God. That sounds a lot. I don't know if I actually want to do that. But Paul was motivated by the message of grace that he got to preach every day to other people. I truly believed that this is what drove him every day, was this abiding and this experiencing and the delight of, of God's grace in his life. I'm going to point you to Ephesians 1, where, you know, he's talking to church in Ephesus, right? So here's the letter he writes to Ephesus. That's so full of grace and wonder and joy. In Ephesians 1, this is my little, like, spark notes version of what happens in the passage, because a lot of text. He opens up by saying, praise God. Praise God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Literally, every single thing that really actually matters in this life, he's already given to us. Okay? And he goes on and he lists them, right? And, and these are things that can get dull for you guys when you hear them a lot in church. But I want you to think about what these actually are, right? What does he bless us with every spiritual blessing? Well, first of all, God has adopted us as sons and daughters. What's this concept of adoption? Well, it's this idea of prestige and honor and love, you know, to be adopted by such a high and mighty being, right? We're adopted. You're sons and daughters. You have a title. You have a role. You're valued. You're treasured. Now, you're beloved by literally the most important being in the universe. You know, that should be enough for us to already think that that's all the value we need, right? On top of that, you've been forgiven. And not only forgiven, but your life is being redeemed 
through the blood of Christ. That it costs something really, really expensive to make this happen. It costs the death of the Son of God to make it happen. And God's like, yeah, I did that for you. You know, literally the most expensive thing I possibly could have been, I did that for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored to right relationship with me. And not only that, but there was a future inheritance. It's going to be great. That's what God's saying. You don't even know how great it's going to be. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared. A future inheritance, way better than med school, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But way better than a house or way better than anything else that you could possibly desire for yourself. And not only that, but also a present presence. Because he knows we're going to struggle with living through these things. And we need some instant gratification now. And so we have the Holy Spirit who reminds us, who is with us, who encourages us, who gives us a glimpse and a foretaste of the glory of God, things that are going to happen. Like everything you could possibly think of that really truly matters, God has blessed us with. That's what Paul opens up with Ephesians. I think this is what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the message of grace, right? It's really, really, really good news. That's what drives Paul. That's why I want to tell everyone that I can. My question for you guys this morning, as you look at this list, for some of you guys, these are abstract ideas that have no meaning or weight to you. The things that you may know, in a sense that you can cite them in Sunday school and you can answer multiple choice questions if necessary, but these are abstract terms to you, right? They're not things that actually hold any weight to you. They're not things that actually produce any value or joy in your heart. Right? For some of us, maybe, you know, it's always been this way, or for some of us, it's become this way. Right? And for some of us, these things are actively real in our lives and are actually producing fruits. Right? They're actually giving us joy. They're driving us. They're, they're giving us a sense of calling, and they're giving us the impetus to be able to live out this life for God. So I want to ask you about that for yourself, to take a moment. And this may be just the thing that you need to hear this morning. Where are you? You know, what are these things for you? What, are these things actually things that really matter to you, or are they just words? Um, I think that's a really challenging thought for me, myself. And that's what I want to bring us back to again and again, right, is this message of grace that God has given us. And it's not just something that we just believed at one time for ourselves. A lot of times Christians treat the gospel that way, right? Like, oh, yeah, I believed that when I got baptized, and yeah, I had that experience when I went to that retreat, and it was nice. I felt God's love, checked, done that. You know, Paul talks about continuing to abide in this message of grace. He's going to talk about this later. It's there. I'll show you. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And so he's saying, no, you continue to marinate in it. Continue to soak in it. There's this picture that I always found pretty helpful. Um, it's kind of an old school picture. The words are too small, so I'll read it for you. Um, it says, you know, the title is called Christianity Without a Growing Understanding of the Gospel. And this is pointing out that, like, a lot of people actually just, they don't grow in their understanding of the gospel, right? And so he says, okay, there's time. It's the, the x-axis is time. We're going that way, right? You know, and as you grow, you know, you grow in two things. You grow in, one, your awareness of God's holiness, right? That's hopefully happening as you're reading scripture, as you're just listening to preaching. You get a greater sense that, wow, God is really good and really pure, right? And he's really just. It's a growing sense of God's holiness, and at the same time, there's this almost paradoxical growing sense of your own sinfulness, right? Like, the paradoxical thing is the more you walk with God, the worse of a sinner you oftentimes feel, right? I'll give you an example. That was in the beginning, like, you know, I, I was like, the only thing I could think of that was a sinner was like, oh, sometimes I lied about that one thing, 
You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, is that really bad enough to deserve Jesus' death on the cross? It just didn't really make sense to me. You know what I mean? Um, but as I have grown in my life, the more God has shown me in my life, I'm like, wow. <laughs> there are some unshakably bad things in my life. There's some unshakably, not just behaviors, you know, at the core of who I am, I need help. You know, and some of that is just, you know, being married, you know, having kids, just exposes more and more and more of that. And so there's this growing awareness of your sinfulness. Hopefully that should be happening, that you're just realizing more and more, man, if that is who God is, I don't actually measure up. And I feel that more and more and more that I don't measure up. So what can easily happen if you see the cross there? The cross doesn't grow. Your understanding of God's grace doesn't grow. Well, then the gap is growing, but then the bridge isn't growing, so to speak, right? And so you're going to be in trouble, you know? And so on the, on the right, it says there that these are all the, the things that result. You know, religion, moralism, you know, either you delude yourself into thinking that you're actually not that bad, you know, and you're, and you're somehow meeting God's holiness. Or guilt, fear, shame, insecurity, despair. This happens a lot, I think, for people who, you know, are perhaps hard on themselves, you know, they, they, they lean into that more. And they're like, yeah, man, like, I, I, the more, like, I don't, I don't think God loves me. Like, God can't love me. You know, I've, I've just messed up too many times. You know, I failed in too many ways, whatever that is the case. But your cross has to grow, and your understanding of grace has to grow. And the only way that happens is if you continue to marinate in it, you continue to delight in it, you continue to read in it, and think about it. And I know it's a stumbling block for a lot of you guys, because you're like, I know Jesus died for my sins. I know those things. But I'm not talking about knowing, like, more facts. I'm talking about knowing it deeper. And the only way to know it deeper is to apply it every day to yourself. As you sinned, oh my gosh, I'm going to God. God, you have so much grace for me, right? And that starts to stretch, and that starts to grow, and you start to understand that. One of my friends this, this week was talking about a growing understanding of the atonement in the gospel. And, and he was talking about how, you know, when he first came, you know, to Christ, maybe he had a very simplistic understanding of the gospel. You know, you know, we've all heard this in Sunday school, Jesus died for my sins. But he's, you know, he's, he's, he's said that he's been growing in his theology and his understanding in ways that God has actually been adding more kind of layers and more aspects to things, more, more you know, kind of populating that picture a little bit more for him so that it's a deeper understanding of what grace actually is, of what the gospel is. I think that's actually the case for all of us. Um, don't think that, you know, if you've been Christian for a couple of years, that you don't need to hear the gospel anymore, right? We need to hear it every day, almost, for our lives. The message of grace, right? So now I want to continue in this, because then Paul moves on from his testimony about grace, about how his life has been transformed by grace, and that's why he does the things he does. Now he gives some warnings, right? Um, and, and so some solemn warnings that he wants to say, he wants to leave them with. And he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he had obtained with his own blood. So he says, pay careful attention. And yes, he's speaking to leaders here, but I think it could be applicable to anyone who is a member in the church. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. Okay, what to watch out for? Here's what to watch out for. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not spraying the fat flock. I already know this is going to be the case. You know why? Because I've been in Ephesus for three years, and it's just been nonstop warfare. <laughs> There's just been nonstop people coming in, you know, persecuting me, trying to kill me, you know, from outside and inside. 
He's just like, okay, I know, I just know this is going to happen. Get ready, guys. Fierce wolves are going to come in. And from among yourselves, this is the heartbreaking thing, from even among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And again, I think Paul had firsthand experience. You know, people who were on his team who left, you know, who started going their own way, you know, started to kind of change this message of grace about something else. You know, and you could hear Paul's heartbrokenness over that. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three days I do not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I loved you guys so much that I just nonstop, I was just telling you the message of grace. And now I'm leaving, guys, and you guys are on your own. So be careful, because it's coming. It's going to test you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard in what ways? What are these things he's warning? Well, the first thing I think he's warning us about is the danger of doctrinal perversion, actually, of change in doctrine, right? Fierce wolves, false teachers going to come in, people who speak twisted things, and they're going to change the message of grace such that the message of grace has no power anymore, such that it's not really about God anymore. It's about us or about whatever other thing that it is about. And you're going to be potentially deceived by that, and that's going to really do a lot of damage. So be careful about that. I think a lot of times when I look at church these days, it feels like churches either fall on two kind of categories. One, that really care a lot about doctrine. There's like churches that care so much about doctrine. They're always about doctrine. It's always about, you know, doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. It's really good, but they don't really ever talk about, like, okay, are you actually living out the doctrine, you know? And sometimes it can get so obsessed about doctrine that you're like, mm, you know, you know, doctrine is important, but, like, there are other things, you know, that we need to talk about as a church. But I also feel like there are a lot of churches that, like, you know, because of that, you know, kind of swing back from that, and they're like, you know, we don't want everyone to talk about doctrine. We're just going to talk about loving Jesus. We're just going to talk about, I don't know, just being happy together or whatever, or, or, you know, things. And you can swing, you know, where you stop caring about doctrine, you stop caring about doctrinal precision. Um, and, and this is one of the things that, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I actually talk a lot about, but I, I want to impress on you guys the importance of doctrine, right? That it is absolutely important. If you want to think about it this way, you know, as an analogy, um, it's kind of like in some ways a train on a track, right? And if the track is going in the wrong direction, the train's going to go the whole wrong direction too. The tracks are like the doctrine, and the train is like your life, right? You're very much led by what you believe and what you think is true. And there's a lot of capacity for the enemy to deceive your whole life and to lead you whole astray simply by twisting and changing a few things in what you believe and what you think, right? Once, once in Boston, I was driving, and I don't know if you guys have ever driven in Boston, but that place is crazy to drive in. Like, like I, I drive in Baltimore, and I went to Boston, and I was like, you know, so I was trying to get home after something, and I remember making like three wrong turns in a row or something, because I, I, I was like, I, it's like is, do I take a hard left here, or do I take a, a medium left? or like a further kind of left, I was like trying to figure out GPS. And I remember this one left I turned, you know, I got on, somehow got on this bridge that I had to pay for it too. It's, it really sucked. And it took me to this other part of Boston. And it took me like, it was like literally, I was just on this bridge for 10 minutes, you know, and it was just going the wrong direction the whole time. There's no off, right? And I had to like go there. I was in like a different suburb. I was outside the city and I had to like get back on the bridge and pay again and then go back. It was really, I was like, oh my gosh, like this place is wild, right? But it just kind of, that leads me to think about sometimes that is the case of doctrine, right? That you and I can be potentially deceived by a few words, by a few thoughts, by even a few wrong emphases, right? That, may, that lead us to suddenly see God differently. You know, suddenly see kind of how we live lives differently. 
And all of a sudden, that could lead our whole lives in a wrong direction for years until we understand, wait, 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 that is actually not the right thing to think. And, and so that's why, like, doctrine is so important. That's why we always emphasize, like, it's important to read your Bibles, guys, for yourselves. It's important not to be led astray, you know, to be careful, to be examining for yourself, because fierce wolves are going to come in. They're not going to spare you. People are going to rise, even among your own selves. That's a tragic thing. You know, even among church members, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. And so if you're going to hang on to this message of grace, you're going to have to know it. And you're going to have to be really fixed on it. And you're going to have to know what you're doing because it's really easy to twist it. I want to give you two examples in which I think how it is being twisted today. One is more of a historical example, but one that has largely affected church in America. So there is this huge movement in America, actually over Europe, over the last 200 years, called theological liberalism, right? And it's not political liberalism, okay? So a lot of people get those confused, right? It's not about being progressive or not progressive. It's a term called theological liberalism because it's about how you see the Bible in some ways, right? And, you know, there was some good sort of progress being made as people were kind of refining and realizing that you could read the Bible in, in different ways and there are valid interpretive kind of differences and, you know, there's some good work being done with that. But largely, there was a huge bent that most of churches in America actually went um, in the 1900s. Like, all, a lot of mainland denominations went this direction, right? And then, it, basically, what ended up happening was this direction they went in was rooted in various, various things, but it was ultimately rooted in this idea of wanting to appease the culture. So one of the cultural things at the time was, back then, they were like, we're discovering science, we're discovering biology. Guess what? Resurrection doesn't make sense. Bodies don't resurrect from the dead. We can cross that off our list. Jesus' resurrection was purely symbolic. Didn't actually have any physical thing. It's not reality. It's just a message for how we can overcome things, you know, a spiritual kind of idea. You know, so there was, a his, there was some historical changes, you know, because people were no longer like, I don't think I can believe the Bible. We can take it seriously anymore. There were also ethical and moral motivations. People were examining, hey, is it really fair for God to send people to hell? Is it really fair for there to be eternal judgment? Uh, I don't know. Most people don't, don't like that idea, right? And so there's this kind of sense of, mm, maybe, maybe that's not the case. Maybe, maybe hell's not really a thing. Um, maybe it's not really about those things. Maybe there isn't even an afterlife. Maybe it's really primarily what Jesus was really talking about was how we can live good moral lives in this world. And so there's this kind of whole movement where the message of grace really changed from this objective reality that God is speaking in our lives about the reality of God, the reality of judgment, and the reality of forgiveness and of redemption in him to a man-made message in some ways, right? And so I want to give you that as an example because that has happened largely to many, many, many churches in the, in the United States. A lot of mainland denominations. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying all, you know, theological changes or innovations have been bad. You know, there have been some good things as well. Um, but it's dangerous, right? And a lot of that has been motivated because we want to change the gospel to something that suits people. Let me give you another example of false teaching that is very rampant. Um, there's something called the prosperity gospel, right? And what's interesting about the prosperity gospel, actually, it's not so much a direct contradiction of scripture like theological liberalism was, right? Theological liberalism was like, we know what we're doing, you know, we, you know, we know the Bible says this, but we just don't think it's possible anymore to believe that. So we're going to change what we think, right? Um, Prosperity gospel, I don't think it's, it's like that, because a lot of the people who preach prosperity gospel are still pastors and churches and, you know, these, these well-known names, and they use verses that are actually from the Bible. 
And sometimes they're actually legitimate verses, right? They, t- they, they use verses that talk about, yeah, as you give, you know, as you give, God will enrich you to give more. That's a biblical concept it's in Philippians, right? Like God wants us to know that he wants to, us to abound so that we can give, you know, generously. You know, and that's, that's something that's actually a biblical idea. A lot of times where prosperity gospel is dangerous is an emphasis. It's not necessarily entirely contradiction, right? Because these people are like, you know, they, they're a Christian, you know, they say they're Christian, but it's not that. It's an emphasis. It's an emphasis that what you should care about more than anything else in your life is success, health, and wealth in your life right now, right? And you can kind of put together a picture of that if you just look at, you know, certain parts in Scripture. But I, really, if you read through the Gospels yourself, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, there is no way you can get a, you know, you can get that sense. The overall emphasis of Jesus' ministry was, yeah, man, like, you know, believe in God, you're going to make it big in this life. You know, that is not the emphasis at all when you read in Luke. And so there's also sometimes a difficulty of emphasis that you have to be careful about. That people sometimes can emphasize the wrong things. And that's why when you read scripture, you're getting an emphasis that comes from God. These are the things that God cares about. There's things that God emphasizes, right? And you're able to see more clearly, this is what the heart of God is. This is therefore what I should care about. So I've given you two examples. There's probably way more. And I think as a culture, like, I think we need to be careful, right? Especially as we, as people who really delight, I think as our church, really delight in engaging with culture sensibly, which is a good thing, a really good thing. I think we have to be careful about ways in which secular culture and non-biblical culture can actually change um, our theology and perhaps threaten this message of grace, right? That's the first thing. Doctrinal perversion, it's absolute thing. That's what Paul warns about. You should do that. You should, you should be worried about that. And the second thing that I think is a danger is not just doctrinal perversion, but val- um, perversion in your values. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much, but I, I want to make that very clear for you guys, that it's also possible to think all the right things and to live in a way that's completely contrary to Christ. That's a very deceptive thing. Again, a lot of these things that Paul's talking about is deception. Either being deceived in your mind about what is true, or be deceived that the life you're living actually reflects at all what you believe and what you say you believe. Um, he says this, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul's talking about his own innocence and integrity here. It's not just that I preached the right message. I loved you guys. I coveted no one's stuff, right? Like, my life was clear and my conscience was clear before God. So there's also a danger of values being perverted. So, <laughs> I shared a lot with us today, and... Um, I don't know. I, I'm realizing that the time is also going on. So, you know, I do want to, I do want to end this, but um, yeah, I just want to, I just want to plead with you guys, right? I think more than anything else, when we listen to this message, um, that we would hear Paul's call for us to take the message of grace seriously, right? To live as people who are fueled by the grace of God, not by anything else, and to be people who watch out, you know, for false things that can come and threaten that. Um, I want to end with just this idea that it is worth it, you know, that it is worth it when we follow Christ in this way. Um, I was touched by this last part. Oops, okay. All right, we're going to skip these things. Um, I was touched by this last part because after Paul finishes and he says all these things, 
You know, it says that he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he spoken, that they wouldn't ever see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And I think about this, and this is not something I originally actually put in my message, but as I was thinking about it, something stood out to me from this, you know, this kind of emotional kind of weeping and kissing of just like the love, you know. And I think about this, that, you know, I think there was no doubt probably in Paul's mind, not just because of this, um, that everything that he had done for the gospel was worth it, um, that it was worth the chains, it was worth the persecution. Um, living a life fueled by grace is worth it. Um, there's a huge impact that God will use through us um, to the people around us and for his eternity, for kingdom come, right? And so I want to just encourage us with that and end one on that. Um, let me pray for us, actually, and we're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to do a little bit of prayer. I think the thing I want to draw us our attention to as we pray first was that kind of first idea of being so fueled by God's grace in every aspect of our lives. And I think for some of us, perhaps, you know, when I read through that Ephesians 1 passage, those did just feel like words. They didn't really have any meaning, or perhaps they'd lost their meaning. And that's kind of where I want to start for us. If that's you, that would you spend the next whatever amount of time as we worship and as we pray to just come before God and say to God, God, would you just restore to me that joy? Or would you show me that joy if you've never seen it before? Would you make these words a reality in my life? Would you show me, Lord, Help me to see it, actually. Help me to feel it. That I am adopted as son and daughter. That I'm forgiven. That I'm deeply loved and treasured by God and called to live a life not for myself, but for God. It's a grace to be able to do that. Some of us just need to go back to that and just, you know, soak in that message of grace. That nothing you do will ever make yourself more worthy of God's grace. Because it's not about your worth. It's about God's choosing to make you worthy because he loves you. There's nothing in this world that can take that away. No failure. It's not losing your job. It's not losing this or that or not getting that promotion or, or whatever. Second, I want to invite those of you guys who perhaps, okay, yeah, I, I do feel, I do know God's grace, and I love it. Even at times, I don't always feel it, which is normal, but I want to, I want to think about that idea of calling again. 
you know, maybe this is, I think, the point that maybe is more pertinent, like, I don't know, maybe it could be more pertinent to a lot more people, but the idea of when you wake up every morning, do you feel like you are living for God or do you feel like you're living for yourself? And if you feel like, yeah, I've been on the wrong track. I, I've just been trying to manage and do things my way for myself. Then when I invite you guys actually to spend some time surrendering. The posture of surrender simply says to God, God, here I am. You could have it all, Lord. It's not for me. What I want more than anything else is not more stuff, not more things to go my, right, my way. What I want more than anything else is to experience you and to live a life that pleases you for your glory and for your kingdom here on this earth. I want to wake up every morning thinking that, that everything I get to do today gets to be a part of that. God, would you give me that mindset as I surrender the ways in which I've controlled things, the ways in which I've just made it my own. I invite you guys into that. Just, just take some time to do that.